Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This particular episode originally aired on April 25th, 2014, and features a discussion between myself and Mark Radulich about the rogues gallery of Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. I was in the midst of a long slog through the annals of comic book characters, and Iron Man was kind of an important one to hit. Uh, for fairly obvious reasons at this point. Uh, we feature, so we talk about his bad guys and how Tony Stark is, in fact, his own worst enemy most of the time. Uh, before we get to the episode, let me pay a couple of bills here. First up, there are a few sponsors. First up will be Grammarly. For you, listeners of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network or the W2M Network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while still catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. Go to, uh, to download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. I say this frequently. Context. Contextual errors are killer. You think something makes sense because you can track it since you wrote it, but ugh, it can be a pain. So that, that's a real help. And please do remember when you do all of these, it is W2M, that is W the number 2M, not the letter. So, uh, not the, there's no letter 2, but it's not spelled out, it's the number. <laughs> uh, also, here uh, sponsoring us are the great people at Amazon. If you like streaming music, and who doesn't, uh, Amazon Music ha- is a great service. It has music, it has, pretty sure it has podcasts, uh, there's, it has an exhaustive library, and really I couldn't, if I'm going to do this, I can't not say that one of the most important moments in recent cinema history, I suppose is the best way to say it, would be Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark standing up at a press conference at the end of the first Iron Man movie and faced with the long tradition of superheroes and the genre itself, the writers and the character, stand there and he eschews all of the history of secret identities and boldly declares, I am Iron Man, as we then segue to the very famous Black Sabbath song, Iron Man, playing over the beginning of the end credits. Uh... The, I have no doubt Iron Man is listed as one of the many songs on Amazon Music. So if you're interested in using their particular service, we're giving you a thir- they're giving you a free uh, 30 days of the, of Amazon Music. If you would like to count, if you'd like to cash that in, go to getamazonmusic.com/w2mnetwork. There will be a link in the description where you can just type into the service, fill out the little thing that lets them know we're the ones that sent you there. You get 30 days free, free music. After that, if you like it, keep it. If you don't, hey, you lost nothing and you gained free music for a, a, an exhaustive library of music for a free 30 days. There, there is no downside to you as a person. Please go through it. It'll help us all out. On that particular note, thank you all again, and I will throw it to myself and Mark Radlich back in 2014. Hope you enjoy the show.
When the devil is too busy and does a bit too much, they call on me by name, you see, for my special touch. To the gentleman, I'm misfortune. To the ladies, I'm surprised. But call me by any name, anyway, it's all the same. I'm the fly in your suit, I'm the pebble in your shoe, I'm the even in your bed, I'm the bump on every head, I'm the pill on which you slip, I'm the pin in every head, I'm the thorn in your side, makes you wriggle and ride. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. I am your host, the authority on evil, Mr. Robert Winfrey. Uh, Whether you're listening live, hit the download button, Alien Civilization many years from now. However you came to us, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, So now tonight, I'm still waiting through comic villains. I did DC last week, so we're back to Marvel. And this week, everyone's favorite uh, drunken, uh, you know, self-destructive billionaire, Mr. Tony Stark, Iron Man himself, is going to get... And we're going to look at his rogues gallery, and, well, because of my guest, I'm also going to look at Tony as a person. Why? What special guest could I possibly have that would inspire a deep, introspective look at a character? Well, I've got the head shrinker himself out of temporary retirement, folks. Mark Radulich is back here with us, back on the podcast, one night only, during the Jonas hiatus. The head shrinker from... Florida is back, and I'd like to welcome him back to this show. Mark, thank you for coming back. I desperately need your help. <laughs> it's great to be back on your show. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm kind of like Snoop Dogg when there's weed about. You know, I'm not gone forever. <laughs> I'm not retired. You know, I'm just going to pop up here and there, you know, t- take, take a hit off the blunt and, and back away again, you know, in, into the distance. Um, I, I, I said when I went on the Jonas Exodus that I basically just wasn't going to host any podcast anymore because of, uh, but I, I did not say I wasn't going to be on any podcast because I figure if I'm on one and something happens and I have to go attend to my son, well, that's fine. People are running the show. They've got their hands on the controls and that's fine. Like I can separate myself and go do what I got to do and come back. It's not easy to do that. Obviously when, when you're the one manning the ship. So I turn the, uh, the keys to the ship over to you uh, Coop, uh, Sean, and, and several others. But that doesn't mean I, I ain't dead, motherfucker. I'm here. I'm moving right next door to you. Body count got a little, got a little crazy. Well, I have to admit, you're, you've got a newborn son. You, you, get, you need a, an outlet for a bit of the craziness that goes on inside your head. Everyone does. This is a good spot as any. And since, hey, it's my show, so if you feel the need to fly off the handle just a little bit, it's on me and not you. Yay for passing blame. Well, like I said on Facebook, you mentioned alcoholism, and I came running. So here I am, <laughs> whiskey firmly in hand, like Dean not wink, wink, it wasn't really whiskey. Uh, so uh, let, let's get to talking. Now, listen, the first step is to admit you have a problem. Sorry, once again, I'm, I'm off topic. Go ahead. <laughs> My, I have many problems. I'm just very close with them and not quite ready to go through the separation process yet. It's, a, it's an unhealthy relationship. It really is. All right, Captain Kirk, huh? A little bit, yes, without the hair or the expanding waistline. 
Sorry, I love William Star Shatner. Trek. I just had to make the joke. Come on, you know Star Trek Five. That was the best part of Star Trek Five. I couldn't. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, I got you. I, I get some of those when just you're mentioning. Okay, it's that one. No, no, yeah, he needs his pain. I remember. All right, but before we get too far off topic, uh, you wanted to bring up kind of Tony Stark as a person and as a villain in in and of himself. He's Okay, I'm, I'm going to bring this one up. First of all, let me apologize first and foremost to the writers who I am doubtless either going to forget or confuse. Uh, there's a few guys in the movies and television zone of 411 Mania, and they write uh, comic book, or comic-themed articles every week. And I keep, I can never keep their names straight. I forget. It's, it's horrible. And I'm a horrible person for doing it. And I freely will admit this. So my apologies to you guys. All I can say is, I'm, hopefully I'm directing a little more traffic your way and you'll forgive me. But when someone counted down uh, Tony Stark's rogues gallery, his greatest enemies, and I forget who it was. It might have been Sean Lelos or I think it's Jeremy Thomas, the other one who does, he did one at the time. I could be horribly wrong. So again, don't hold me to the names, folks. Uh, they went through his list of enemies and he's got a, you know, we're going to talk about some of them here. He's got a pretty fun rogues gallery. Equal parts gimmicky and interesting, which is kind of how it should be. But he listed Tony Stark as his own worst enemy. Now, you are a social worker. You deal with people who suffer, who you know, struggle with addictions, all shapes and sizes. So this guy has to be just kind of like your, not your favorite, but this is like, you know, this has to be a character that you look at and go, man, I wish I could help you. <laughs> um, well, whoever, charge you whoever, <laughs> 75 bucks an hour. Um, whoever named Tony Stark as Iron Man's number one enemy uh, is absolutely right. And while I was in my, my second office, which is the toilet, um, I was thinking long and hard about this. And initially I said, you know, of all the heroes in comic dumb, the one whose single greatest enemy is himself is Iron Man. And I said, well, no, let, let's take a step back from that and let's examine what that se- what, what's being said in that sentence. Because on Marvel and on the Marvel side and the DC side, you what what made these compelling comics I think to me is that from Superman to Green Lantern to Captain America to Spider Man to one degree or another, you were dealing with um, you know Spider Man. So you you were dealing with uh, people re- seemingly real people. They were written as. Um, you, you know, seemingly real people who who under came under extraordinary circumstances and ended up with superhuman powers of some kind, and then they had to live in their world with those powers. And the writers, um, to one degree or another, took time to explore what happens when you do that. Um, and I thought I thought about that for a while. I said the only one that I can think of who's been undone by his you know, by the fractures in their personality, by the defects in their personality, it really is Tony Stark. Because when I, and if you'll if you'll indulge me for a moment, if you think about the, you know some of the some of the main superheroes out there, you know, Superman, though he had he certainly has his fair share of personal issues and, and personality issues. Um, you know, the Doomsday was his biggest problem. Uh, Batman, again, you know, probably one of the most psychologically interesting characters next to Tony Stark, and certainly there are more similarities than just the defects in personality, but really... Or the billions never... of dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that was never his undoing. His undoing was the Joker. You know, as I said to you in the podcast that we did on that, I said never was there ever another villain who could take the smartest superhero on Earth and reduce him to a guy who, wants to, who just wants to punch his way through things. Um... You know, Spider-Man probably comes the closest, 
But even then, his was always a juggling act of how, you know, how can I manage being a teenager, you know, and keep my identity secret and protect the ones that I love while still doing, you know, while still being a responsible person with these powers. Um, it is, I think the only other one that I can think of is maybe Hal Jordan, but you know you have to bring back Sean and Gavin to to say whether or not I'm right about that, whether his personality was the was the greatest issue, um, and I think that goes along with just being a lantern from what I learned on that podcast. So here we have a guy, Tony Stark, who Iron Man, who, as far as I know, never ran into into serious trouble with another enemy, more so than himself. His alcoholism, his sort of defects of personality were probably his single greatest threat. And I find that the demon in a bottle storyline for what it was in the time that it came out was stands apart for me as one of the most interesting storylines in comics because it wasn't about the colorful rogues gallery of villains trying to throw exploding pies at your hero. You know, it wasn't about dastardly uh, woven plots, you know, th- that were unraveled by some mastermind, some genius. It was about a guy whose life was falling to pieces and him uh, going to an acceptable vice. Because, cause, you know, we joke about it, uh, you know, you and I. I know you're, uh, you're a teetotaler from what you told me. Um, and I say that with the utmost respect. But... Uh, you know, drinking unlike, you know, smoking pot or shooting dope or, you know, you're even gambling is, a, is an acceptable vice. It's, you see it and, you know, what, what's the big logo on the UFC match? It's Bud Light. Bud Light, last time I checked, was an alcohol, even, even the light version. Um, so, but, but, that's, but, but it is what it is. It's a vice. It's a thing that dulls your senses. It, uh, it actually, it's a depressant. And it oh, yeah. makes you feel better when life makes you feel bad. And when this man's life starts to unravel, he goes to it more and more and more, and he, you know, and, and as the title says, a demon in a bottle, he starts to crawl inside that bottle to live. And I just, you know, like I said, I don't want to keep repeating myself and talking in circles, but I, I find that imminently more interesting than any one of the epic battles between good guys and bad guys. There's a legitimate line of thought there, and, you know... I don't disagree with your assessment that he's probably the only guy who really winds up battling with himself on a regular basis, in a, especially in such a, in a physical or an outward expressed way. I mean, you know, Batman has his psychological issues, but he tends to just brew. Tony Stark goes out, gets drunk, misses a repulsor blast, and, you know, orphans a kid, hypothetically. I don't believe that's ever happened. So please, no, nobody demon, scream at me. But in the Demon in a Bottle storyline, he actually gets drunk, decides he doesn't want to be Tony A. Stark anymore because Tony Stark is the problem, so he'll just be Iron Man. And in a a drunken stupor, he goes flying out the window while it's closed. He goes to uh, lift a chlorine tank that has gone off the the rails, and instead of um, helping, he actually causes a bigger mess than... You know, it was very much like the, the like the scene in uh, Superman three. Can, can I ha- can I help you at all? Well, maybe if you'd gotten here five minutes earlier. You know, um, thanks, Super Guy. Yeah, he uh, he goes to pick up this chlorine tank and he breaks it and chlorine gets everywhere and you know it's the well, cops chlorine like we gotta yeah we gotta evacuate people. Like, I thought we de- I thought we didn't need to evacuate people. Well, we do now because Fucko got involved. <laughs> 
it, it's yeah. I mean, yeah, chlorine's a pretty nasty chemical in its purest forms. If my if my high school chemistry teacher was in any way accurate, I walked into the medical bay the other day and it smelled like the public pool, and I realized that they were just dumping tons of chlorine on the floor. Yeah, it it, it can be nasty stuff when not properly diluted. I mean, the irony is that it's part of a chemical or part of a compound that we actually need to survive. From a technical standpoint, it's salt, by the way, for anyone who's just sitting there going, huh? No, salt. <laughs> salt is sodium chloride. The chloride comes from chlorine. Actually, both sodium and chlorine are horrifyingly dangerous chemicals. Thank you, Mr. Wizard. You're welcome. I would not recommend using either of them in the manufacture of methamphetamine. Sorry, that was, that was a random tangent. I kind of poking fun at Pat Mullen the other day and... Different topic, but look. I just want to go. I just want to go on the record as saying you bring every babbling loudmouth onto this show that wants to go off topic and go traveling through through the woods, saying this and that. I'm actually on topic. You're the one that's now on a tangent. Mm -hmm. A little bit, yeah. Okay, so talk to me about this now. You you've mentioned you mentioned me off off air that you haven't read all of the you know all the comics. You're not. Uh, as up on the comic continuity as you are necessarily on the film. So, universally kind of praised, Robert Downey Jr. captures the essence. He's got plenty of issues. Uh, this is one of, this is also another interesting thing, that a lot of the other uh, superheroes, that are, or you know, super-powered beings, be they good or bad, that you mentioned, a lot of their issues tend to come about after the fact. You know, Captain America, I mean, the poor guy, he had, you know, polio and everything. I think it was polio, technically, but, you know, he, he's got all these issues. But his real problems don't start until he becomes the super soldier, gets into Nazi Germany, and knocks out Adolf Hitler. I mean, that's when his problems that really start. Hal Jordan was just a test pilot. I mean, you know, there's inherent danger there. But no, then all of a sudden you're part of an you know, interplanetary peacekeeping group. And you know, again, then the problems really start. Tony Stark had his problems, essentially, before he ever had to create the first bit of Iron Man. So I'm curious as to, you know, from your perspective, you know, being... You know, with what you do for a living and the fact that you look at things a little differently than I do. Was this a case of, here's a guy with, you know, of low, a man of low moral fiber. He'd fit right in with uh, Kenny Omega and the Human Tornado, for all you pro wrestling gorilla fans. And then you go ahead and you give this guy a little bit of motivation and, all of, and necessity, mother of invention. But here's a guy with, you know, alcoholism... Uh, you know, just all these issues as a person, and then you go ahead and you give him you know, all this power. I mean, is that is that just a recipe for disaster from the start? Well, I think the best way for me to answer your question is to look at the first Iron Man film and consider his origin for a moment, because forgetting about the alcoholism, the defects of personality, the um, you know, the sort of alpha male stuff that. The, that is the protective shell over sort of an insecure uh, inner psyche. And just think about this for a moment. The man made guns for a living. The man made guns and munitions. And in the movie, and I believe in the comic book, um, you know, that's where he got his vast fortune from. And he had, and uh, I'm going to stick with the movie because that's what I'm more familiar with. Uh, it's fairly accurate. <laughs> so go ahead. He is forced to come face to face with the um, with the evil that he does, he, you know, it's like you don't you don't mean to do evil, but but what can anyone say other than you know you're? It's like you know the guns don't kill people, people kill people with guns, you know, and then Eddie and then I hear Eddie Izzard in the back of my mind, and, and so do monkeys if they have a gun, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's you know it's the idea of you can kind of stand 
apart from it and say, well, I'm just cre- I'm just there's a need out there. I am supplying a product that people want, and that's not a bad thing. That's capitalism. But what he comes face to face with is that those guns that he's making were used on American soldiers. They were used to hurt people that he, on some level, cared about, and he has to, you know, and he has to deal with that. That's one of the things I really liked about the first movie was the sort of crisis of this conflict that he has. Uh, about you know, how he got his fortune versus what it means to the greater society and his attempt to then make a change and say, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. Stark Enterprises is going to do other stuff. We're going we're gonna to get into energy. You never notice that, though. At any time in the movies when the superhero decides they're going to do something for all mankind, it's always energy. Uh, but that, that's what they want to do. And then the, there's, a, there's the conflict well, between him and It didn't work so well Obadiah. for Superman when he decided he was going to enforce nuclear disarmament. <laughs> It didn't work well for Batman either. He created a bomb. I know. That Bane then rode around town with. <laughs> Stop doing energy projects, <laughs> superheroes. Leave it alone. <laughs> we're gonna keep. We're gonna stay with gasoline for now. In any case, um, but I find that interesting. And then you know, then there's the conflict within Obadiah Shane, who says, "No, this is what we've been doing. This is what we can, we should continue to be doing, and stop trying to do something else." Um, and and that's very much a real thing. You know, people who kind of want to stick with what works versus people who, who want to think out of the box and try something new. So I'm very fascinated by all of that, and it's one of the things that made the first Iron Man movie interesting to me. I know a lot of the complaints about the, about the Iron Man movies was they were too much of a departure from the comic book. Uh, there, was too much, uh, there was too much time spent on the individuals as characters and not enough Iron Man running around smashing shit. And to those hey, people, we got I that in stop... two, and people dislike it. I mean, come on. Well, Be I was going to you know... say... To... To those people, I would say stop going to the movie. <laughs> you have to Iron care Man. about the people on screen, or it doesn't. Or there's no point to it. Right. Iron Man one and Iron Man three were were movies. Iron Man two was a commercial for the Avengers, but, but that's the whole of the podcast. Um, yeah. So I so I kind of go back to that, and I say, you know, his his situation with creating the Iron Man armor was he was trying to create a, a you know a a tool essentially to get him out of the predicament that he was in. And then it became about um, the greater cause. You know, I have a responsibility to do better. And because I've already seen what happens when I don't do good, bad things will happen. And I've really oversimplified that. But that's, that's ultimately the conclusion that Tony comes to, is I have a responsibility to do right by my fellow man that I haven't been doing. And it's the same kind of thing that happens in, in the third Iron Man movie, where... You know, he's running around, he's trying to sleep with women, and he's blowing off Guy Pierce and all that stuff, you know. And then, you know, it's, it's after the fact that he realizes you can't treat people shitty. It will come back to haunt. So, um, but that all plays into the idea of Tony Stark being Iron Man's worst enemy, because wouldn't Iron Man be better off as a superhero if Tony Stark didn't keep making enemies of people by being a douchebag? Uh, it's, it's, not an, it's not an invalid line of thought, and it's a very interesting one. I mean, there have been times when, I mean, I believe you mentioned, uh, I think in Demon in a Bottle, they actually give the Iron Man armor to uh, James Rhodes because they need Iron Man out there, but Tony Stark is in absolutely no condition to be anywhere um, near anything functional. What ends up happening is uh, Justin Hammer is using a machine that um, can remote take control of the armor, unbeknownst to Tony Stark, and he makes and he uses the armor to kill an ambassador. So what ends up happening is Tony Stark just gives the armor to the 
they they impound the armor is what happens. Um, Tony Stark gives gives one of his suits of armor to the government. Um, you know, War Machine doesn't appear until much later on in the comics, and he doesn't make an appearance in Demon in a Bottle. Rhodey does, but not as War Machine. But yeah, he has to give away his armor for a period of time because, you know, at this point, Tony Stark and Iron Man are two different personalities. I just did air quotes. Two different personalities. They don't know that they, you know, the, the greater world doesn't know that they're one and the same person. So Iron Man is under, you know, is, is under uh, suspicion for having murdered somebody in cold blood while you know, Tony Stark is running around trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Yeah, and uh, I, I, had a, I had a point. Sorry, I think you got to it, and consequently I didn't move on to mentally but, to the next step. But. but let me help you out here. The okay. closest we come to... The closest we... Well, you think of your next point. The closest okay. we come to Demon in a Bottle is the second movie, actually. Of all the dumb things that that second movie does, the one thing that it does do right is it kind of shows Tony Stark... Um, dealing with his own humanity because he's going. He, the, the, the whole the plot to too, and there is a plot to reviewers who have said there is no plot to that movie. The plot is he's dying. He's going to die, and he can't stop it. And for all of his uh, genius, for all of his uh, abilities and, and special qualities, he can't stop himself from rapidly dying. So he starts to go a little crazy, and he's drinking, and he's fucking, he's, he's fooling around in his armor. And and in that scenario, um, uh, Rhodey ends up taking the armor from Tony Stark while he's in a, you know, a, dr- in a drunken stupor, and that's what leads to War Machine being created, and then eventually the Iron Patriot. Um, similar to Demon in a Bottle, but you know those are the differences. Well, that's also the only look. Yeah, I'm going to go out and say, pretty much in our lifetimes, that second act of Iron Man Two is the closest we're going to get to that storyline realized on film. Yeah, and and all of the people who have worked on those films have also said that. Pretty much Marvel Studios. I was reading about this. I thought it was fascinating. Marvel Studios, They wanted to do the Demon in a Bottle story, and Marvel Studios was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, Tony Stark sells Tony Stark sells merchandise. Everyone loves the guy. We're just getting this you know, franchise kind of up and running, and now you want us to turn him into a horrible person. And no, it's not going to work. Well, I was and say, they, Disney look, owns the whole thing anyway. Well, look, you know, Marvel Studios was just sort of getting rolling here. This was their second franchise after the Hulk, um, and the first really major franchise of the Marvel Studios as we know it. Uh, you know, as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not, you know, and uh, they're like, look, we just, we want to make this fun. We want people to keep coming back. You can't do clean and sober the movie, you know, <laughs> you can't, yeah. you can't do, you can't do that. It's not going to, you know, you can't do leaving, La- the leaving Las Vegas version of Iron Man. Although people now wish- I have, now I have a severe desire for them to hand the reins to a Marvel uh, to an Avengers movie over to Darren Aronofsky and say, remake Requiem for a Dream, but with superheroes. <laughs> yeah. No. Though I would love for them to do the meth storyline, the, uh, the rather the ice storyline with Captain America. Are you familiar with that? I am not. Um, in 50 words or less, Captain America gets caught in, in an explosion um, where in a warehouse full of... It's methamphetamines, but because this is a comic, they called it ice. And uh, a warehouse full of ice blows up and um, and ends up because he's got because he's got such a high metabolism and everything else. Instead, you know, because if you've ever for those of you that have done meth, or for those of you that that haven't, um, you know, after a couple of days it kind of gets out of your system and you're okay again. If you know, if you do a lot of meth over a long period of time, 
you might, you know, and then you, like, you stop. A few days later, you're going to still go into, like, psychotic withdrawals. But this happens at the jail all the time. Um, <laughs> Florida. So, anyway, um, the problem with Captain America is he can't sober up. Um, the ice can't get out of his system. And so the only way to, to get – and so he goes, like, he goes nuts. Like, Captain America goes crazy. So uh, what they figure out is the only way to get the ice out of his system, because it won't metabolize, is to take out the super soldier, which is causing the problem in the first. So uh, the storyline ends with them pulling the super soldier serum out, and now Captain America has to work a hundred times as hard to maintain his current, you know, all of his abilities because he no longer has the steroid essentially keeping him that way. Uh, and again, it was one of those things that I found fascinating because of the, the issues that followed it, you know, in Captain America and in the Avengers. There was this thing about you know him having to prove himself because he was just a dude. You know he didn't have fancy armor, he didn't have you know he didn't have superpowers. He wasn't a mutant. He was just a guy, and he you know and he had to prove himself among you know he couldn't even shoot arrows. You know he had to prove himself among a world of gods and, and prove that he could be one of them if not better than them. Um, it's one of the things I've always liked about Captain America. But we're talking about... Well, no, that, that's an interesting one. I'll have to look that up. I've had a couple of arcs that I've not been aware of that I've been turned on to courtesy of my guests here, and in some cases my research. I mean, I had no idea about a Gore the God Butcher until Pat Mullen came on and we talked about Thor villains. And I am... I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm very much enjoying it. So I'm... So if that's one that I'm not aware of, that you've now pointed me in the right direction, I am just going to say thank you no matter how we arrived at that particular point of conversation. All right. All right um, let's kind of stick with the movies for a minute here. And I, I know you're not as familiar with the comics, so I'm going to wind up... You know, I'll be the one imparting a bit of wisdom at certain points here, but sticking with the film. Uh, in Iron Man 2, you, you had a couple of different villains. You had uh, Jacob Hammond, who is radically different from his portrayal in the comics. Uh, in the comics, he's actually a wizened old man, as opposed to Sam Rock. But, you know... It, just a slight, but you know, kind of the big one that they played around with was the character of Whiplash, played by Mickey Rourke. And in the comics, Whiplash starts off as not anywhere near kind of what we see in the films. He's a bit more gimmicky. I mean, you know, he carries a whip. He's got a bulletproof costume that was given to him by uh, Hammer Industries. And it's, just, it's, it's not that he's bad necessarily, but what they did with... Iron Man 2, they kind of merged elements of Whiplash, elements of his gimmick, with kind of the, with the, uh, a modified version of the backstory of the original Crimson Dino uh, name just escaped my memory. I will find out. But they kind of Bar matched up. We, no. Barzukov? No. Nikolai Volkov? No. Go ahead. Say, say Nikita sure? Koloff next. Nikita Koloff? <laughs> no. Uh, Anton Vanko. Jeez. That took me way too uh, But, you know, the story from... His backstory was a again, slightly modified version of the Crimson Dynamo's backstory. Uh, Anton and actually Anton and uh, def- wound up defecting to the United States. He worked alongside Howard Stark during the Cold War, and uh, again they modified this, and it, it just kind of worked together. It worked very well, and so much of that I, I believe the Whiplash currently in comics they have now moved toward that particular version because it was so successful. So I'm curious. You know, from a, you know, I don't think either of us care all that much for the second Iron Man movie as a general. But how did uh, you know the storyline? How did the whole Mickey Rourke's version of how did Mickey Rourke's character? How did that come across to you? Were you were you feeling that, or was that just you know, was it too gimmicky? I mean, what, go, well, what went through your mind for that one? 
let me ask you a question this way. Comic books are not movies, even if you're trying to take a comic book and make it into a movie. And the things that work in a comic book don't necessarily translate well on screen. For example, you know, a, a hundred thousand, however giant this thing is, you know, foot Galactus, guy running around with a silly hat, you know, eating planet. Works just fine in comics. Hey, I actually However, have very little issue, hypothetically, with altering Galactus from giant guy who, who eats planets to Lovecraftian interdimensional, you know, interspatial being who sucks well, and drives what he does. I, I, they were, they were, my, my, where I was going with that is, you know, like, you can't, it was just for the sake of arguing, say a thousand feet, you can't take a thousand foot guy and throw, you know, put a top hat on him and throw him on screen in a movie. It looks silly. Um, and people won't buy it. So you have to come up with another way. No, I'm not saying turning him into a giant purple cloud of smoke um, was the best idea, but we're not talking about the Fantastic Four movies either. My point is that <laughs> you, you, you have to sometimes take the raw material of a comic book and then reimagine it in a way that's going to work on screen. So you look at the Whiplash character, and it's a dude in a purple suit running around with a whip, and that's kind of, you know, and this is a common thread throughout all comics. They take the heroes, they take the villain, and they dress them in a way that reflects more reality. Then, look, comic books are a very colorful thing. They're very colorful, but generally speaking, you don't have people running around in very colorful spandex. You know, a guy that wants to rob a bank and for some odd reason does so with a whip is not going to put on a purple jumpsuit. He's just not. So I'm okay with you know. And, and again, your, your, your audience also isn't just comic book fans. You're getting people like my wife who are, who's going, you know, you know, women who go with their boyfriends, you have to appeal to them, you have to appeal to kids, which, again, maybe the purple jumpsuit might be effective with them. But, you know, you want the widest audience possible. And so Mickey Rourke running around with a pair of electric whips, you know, and, and, and some ripped pants works fine for me. My problem with the Whiplash character in 2 wasn't his presentation. It was they gave him fuck all to do. Yeah. It's Mickey Rourke putting together model airplanes for what seems like an hour, you know, and changing his mind about shit. And then, and, you know, huzzah! He, he's, he, you know, now let's have him fight. All right, now put him in. Now, now let's take him off screen for a while. You're back fighting. You know, that, that was, it was a horrible Iron Man, Yeah, the problem with Iron Man 2 was not they made him look slightly more realistic and gave him some weird weapons. It was they gave him nothing to do throughout the movie. They didn't give anybody anything to do in that movie. No, <laughs> it was a lot. About it. it was a lot of kind of watching Tony descend into madness, which what, which is why I, I I can defend the movie somewhat to critics of people who just like nothing happens. This is just a trailer for the Avengers, um, and it's an exaggeration. Know, it but is because the first half of the movie is Tony's de- dealing with his own humanity, and I found that stuff compelling. When, you know, who was it with doing like, oh, he finds a giant Easter egg that his father left him, you know. <laughs> I don't know who said it, but it's um, awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was in an honest trailer or if that was Confused Matthew. It was Probably. one of the two. I think it was an honest, it was an honest, I think it was an honest trailer. It's just like you, you figure out how to cure yourself with an Easter egg your father left you. Like, all right, yeah, that's kind of what I got taken out of the movie, too. It's like, oh, bullshit. You you did not design Disney World or whatever the fuck that map was supposed to be, you know, and it was like, oh, it really is a blueprint for an element that you might need in 20 years. 
Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, the credulity only stretches so far, even in films like that. Yeah. So, um, but no, I I thought the Whiplash character, in and of itself. Yeah, I didn't have any problems with it either. I actually didn't realize how much of the story they had altered and kind of cobbled together to create that character until I was doing research for this, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the Crimson Dynamo, because it's a fun... You have a couple of uh, opponents of Tony Stark who are also wearing iron, and because of the time frame that some of the comics were released and whatnot, they happen to be Soviet, and they happen to you know, have some fun... You know, some funny gimmick stuff. You have the various Crimson Dynamos, and there have been several. And you also that's an have... Thing. That's an ongoing thing with Marvel characters. You know, Hulk fights monsters. He fights the Abomination, the Wendigo, etc. You know, Captain America fights, you know, other guys with, with weapons and tights. Iron Man fights, a, you know, half of his rogues gallery is made up of guys in armored suits of some sort. And it just goes on and on like that. Yeah, although it does lead to some fun crossover events like Acts of Vengeance, wherein you... Yeah. Switch those things around. Yeah. But uh, the other one was Titanium Man, which I thought was, you know, okay, you got Iron Man, now you got Titanium Man. You know, haha, fun times. <laughs> and he, they're actually not uninteresting characters when you kind of get into it. I mean, uh, Boris Bolsky, I believe, I'm probably mispronouncing that, who's the Titanium Man, is actually a very devout uh, follower of Stalinism, which I'm not going to call communism, because if you know the difference, then it's substantial. And he constantly tries to gain favor with the Communist Party by challenging Iron Man to public fight, keeps losing, because, you know, it's what you do. When you're the bad guy, you have to lose. Falls out of favor, gets back in favor, does all kinds of fun stuff. But when they, when they actually get to the collapse of the Soviet Union in the comic world, he has a mental breakdown. Because he has a hard time dealing with the fact that everything he believed in is now gone and didn't work. God, he wasn't the only one, and, and, and that's, that's a fact of real life. And uh, yeah, and the Dynamo was tended to deal more with people who were disaffected. Who were disaffected with, and again, there many people have been the Crimson Dynamo. Uh, some of them were people who had defected from the Soviet Union for one reason or another. I mean, it, you know, they so they did a good job. It's kind of like showing, okay, there are some people who leave. There are some people who were fascistly and maniacally supportive. I mean, you just, they kind of covered the spectrum of human emotion there, and I thought they did a good job. Uh, okay, I want to. You mentioned this one before, and I feel com- and I feel we should definitely bring it up. But you mentioned that the other thing you really want, in addition to the other two films, which we're going to get to, especially the third because it deals with Iron Man's greatest villain, and it's not himself necessarily in this case. But we'll get to that in a minute. The other kind of uh, arc you wanted to cover in the comics with Tony Stark was uh, the Marvel Civil War storyline. So yeah. I'm really curious as to what... I mean, that's... Uh, you know, A lot of people know what happened. They're, they're aware of it. It's kind of a divisive one, and then some people really don't care for it. So I'm just kind of curious, what about it? What about that story? What about that crossover? What about that uh, event? That's what they are. They're events. What about that event in comic in you know comic history? Kind of draws your personal interest. What makes you look at that as opposed to you know something like Secret Wars necessarily and go, no, no, I, I'm more interested in. Well, I think for the for the most part because it was grounded in reality. The setup of Civil War is that a bunch of superheroes accidentally set off like a nuclear explosion. Well, let me let me go back a second and say that I don't know. Uh, when I'm going to minorly correct you there. Uh, if memory serves, and I'm not looking at it, but I mean, your point is essentially correct. The difference is, it was a bunch of uh, mid-level superheroes. Yeah. And again, we're not talking your A-levels, and they were trying to capture a A-list supervillain by the name of Nitro, who blows up. I mean, who would have thought Nitro, right? And because they're not of the same, you know, they're not on the same level. They're not. This is the rough equivalent of 
Santino Morella trying to stop Kane from attacking Daniel Bryan. You know, for a pro wrestling reference, you know, it's, it doesn't quite mesh. And Nitro detonates and blows up like an entire city. I mean, they just, yeah. they boxed the whole thing. I'll let you get back to that. You know, it wasn't just a nuclear bomb. It was, you know, th- there was some other stuff that went on there. Anyway, right. continue. No, and I, I, I didn't mean to insinuate that it was, but I was just trying to like, cut to the quick. Um, but I, I don't know when exactly Marvel started doing this, but they started to pull away from the magical mystery kind of golden age and silver age stuff, and they started... Uh, telling stories that were grounded in modern in modern times, modern reality, and when you think about and this is not going to divulge, yeah, this is not going to turn into some sort of political podcast. I swear to God, but it, I won't let it. Think about, it's okay. <laughs> but when you think about um, some of the modern political conversations we're having, you know, it's about registering people, right? You know, do, should should everybody? Uh, have some sort of an ID card, and this is you know this goes to the subject of um, immigrants and aliens in, in the United States, you know that sort of thing. Uh, certainly, when you talk about registering people, uh, historically, what comes up is the draft, the Vietnam War, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, the whole concept of registering free Americans is a loaded series of words right there. It's a loaded topic, whatever the context is, and. In the Civil War storyline, it to me it was, it was very grounded in that reality. It was here we have this tragic event, this wholly preventable tragic event, and it results in sort of an overreach of the government. In that uh, Tony Stark um, puts together a movement that says, "Okay, we're going to have all superpowered individuals in the United States register." And, um, you know, you're going to get training and you're going to get a paycheck and you're going to be an agent of the government and you're going to be controlled in in how you do your business and what you do and how you stop evil. And and, And like all things, on the surface, it's a good idea. But when you start to dig into it, it's a, seri- it's a serious knock on individuality, on individual freedom. By what right does the government have to tell you you have to work for it in order to do your special thing? And if, and, and if, it's, and if you do agree with this, where does the government stop that sort of thing? Where does the government stop by, you know, in saying, well, you know, you have this talent, you now have to work for the government? Um, so that's what I thought was fascinating about Civil War is that, you know, for a comic book about people who can stretch and turn invisible and are made of rocks and, you know, bitten by radioactive spiders and such, it was a heavy political argument that was sort of dressed up in, um, in comic book fare. You know, I think on a, a couple of podcasts ago when you were talking about the X-Men, you know, the X-Men tended to delve into that sort of thing, but a lot of the comic books kind of stayed away from it. In this sense, they just wholly embraced it. So that's what I liked about it. And it, and it also wasn't the, the first time they'd done something like that. Uh, as I recall, a very similar situation uh, resulted in the Planet, Planet Hulk storyline, where uh, he gets caught in an explosion, um, starts to have essentially like post-traumatic stress disorder as the Hulk. And he starts having, you know, he starts seeing visions and memories, and it's just whatever was in the cat in the cave that exploded at the time started screwing with his brain and the Hulk goes on a rampage and destroys Las Vegas, at which point, you know, the Illuminati send him up in a spaceship and say, 
you know, enough's enough. You've destroyed enough of <laughs> you've destroyed enough of this civilization. We're going to send you to a planet where you can't hurt anybody, and you know, and Hulk destroys you know half the rocket, and it crashes on whatever the fuck the name of the world was, and you know, the Planet Hulk storyline sort of uh, unravels from there. Uh, but uh, you know, back to Civil War. So you you had a you had two ideals set against one another, encapsulated by. Um, Captain America and Iron Man, and I don't understand what there isn't to like about this. You know, maybe it's too real for some people. Maybe it's too heavy, and they and they want more fantasy laden stories. But this 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 uh, this was my jam. You know, I really really enjoyed it. But whoever thought that Iron Man was the <laughs> hero of this thing We're gonna has, get a into deluded, that. has a deluded sense of what of what heroes and villains are. It's funny you should bring that up, because the person who actually espouses that view wrote the thing. <laughs> I don't know what parallel universe that person is living in. I'm going to have to throw this out, uh, my initial discovery of this again to one of the comic writers over at 411 Mania, who brought up some of the quotes that writer Mark Millar, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, it's M-I-L-L-A-R, so I'm, I'm off by like enunciation as opposed to horribly off. It said he believed that Tony Stark was the hero. He was the good guy within the Civil War story. And now, Mark, what is it about that that you find so... I have my reasons why I find logic plays a part in that, but I'm curious as to what it is about it that you just so vehemently disagree. I don't know. The guy espousing the government line that everyone must register. Everyone must wear this gold star, okay? <laughs> everyone must be, you know, must be encoded with a barcode. That's your hero. Versus the guy saying, no, I stand for freedom. I stand for individuality. You cannot make us all wear the gold star, the barcode. You can't force us into that. You can't force all of us round, uh, round pegs into that square hole. He's the bad guy. Only somebody like writing propaganda would, would think that way. I, I don't disagree with you. I thought when I first heard that that was his position, I was flabbergasted. Uh, I mean, I was absolutely... <laughs> I, I couldn't wrap my head around how did you arrive at that particular logical destination. And then you know, reading what he said, like, oh, wait, there wasn't a whole lot of logic there. That's how you're... Okay, then. Well, I mean, when you think about what what, in, what is the Civil War storyline telling us, it's, it's telling us that, in, in, you know, in times of tragic circumstances, um, people will panic and overreach. Think about... Again, cut me I off... I wonder if there's I'm historical precedent for this. Well, I was going to say, cut me off if you think I'm going a, a smidge too far here, but think about 9-11 and then the Patriot Act, right? I'm not going to argue the merits or, or, um, of, the, of the Patriot it's like Act. Said, this isn't a political discussion. It's a sociological right. observation. Right. And so you, so you have terrorist planes as missiles to knock down buildings and kill 3,000 people. And the government said, okay, we're going to draft a document. So that we can start listening in on conversations, so that we can be, so that we can stop the terrorist plots before they happen. And everyone went, "Yay, Patriot Act! This is a wonderful idea!" And then not so much. <laughs> you know, years later, going, "Hey, wait a minute! What exactly are you listening to?" Oh, all of us? Really? That's not good. Well, oh, they can't profile. That would be discriminatory. All right, exactly. that hang on. That's a laden. Right, everybody, <laughs> I'm unloading that gun before it actually fires. Back your hand, uh, Robert Winfrey. Like All right, man. we're backing up. But, but you see what I'm saying? You know, you, I do. you have a situation, I agree. and everyone goes, "Government, do something!" And then the government does something. But the government only has look. Governments only have 
select tools in their tool belts, and they usually, you know, bazooka. You know, they don't yeah. they don't have fly swatters and small screwdrivers and tweezers. They have bazookas and sledgehammers, people. And that was, you know, and the guy wielding the sledgehammer in this case was it was Iron Man, was Tony Stark. Tony Stark in the Civil War storyline wholly believed that this was a good idea, which is exactly the kind of thing that drives. Uh, villains and stories is is that the good ones at least is that right. they wholly believe this is a great idea that they are that they are doing God and and he thought he was he thought you know the Captain America was dead wrong in saying no people have the right to do their own thing if they don't want to work for the government you know Spider Man doesn't have to work for the government he can continue living you know a dual life and trying to protect his dear old Aunt May didn't work out so well after he revealed who he was. No, and I can't kind of know that was the point. Which, uh, and, hey, just because I can't, it's un, it's un, I can't stop myself from bringing it up, but because Aunt May died, we got the one more day storyline, folks. I did that just to twerk off ben, Benjamin J. Cologne and Pat, because I know they're, I'm guessing they're listening, and I just reminded you of that Spider-Man arc. <laughs> Deal with it. But that's why, but that's why my sort of long-winded explanation for why I like the Civil War storyline and another example of Tony Stark being Iron Man's worst enemy. Um, I think this uh, this ends with a couple of superheroes end up dead, not the least of which was Captain America. Yeah, you know. And then at the end of the day, it, the Superhero Registration Act ended up going away, and his and the ultimate uh, conclusion was it wasn't worth. And I think even at the end of the day, he you know. By the time it was all said and done, he was no longer the the head of Shield. He had lost all of his power, and he had been discredited. So, you know, there you go. I believe like one of the final panels is him brokenly weeping by the tomb of Tony Stark. In part because I correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there? I believe Steve Rogers. Yeah, no, no. But uh, my point there is, I believe the reason he wound up breaking down was because um, Uato the Watcher showed up to him or the beyond or someone like that. You know, somebody who, you know, looks in the future who can like follow the time stream and everything. Looked at all the different possible outcomes and he showed up when Tony Stark was there morning Steve and he showed him the different possibilities. And one of them was right. just so much better. Right. He could have like gotten out of his own way. You know, this is why I'm a libertarian because ultimately the best choice for humanity is to just give choice, period. And let's talk about comics. Yes. You're a libertarian because Kane threatened to set you on fire. <laughs> nice. Hey, it's it would well work. All right, all right, all right. Moving on. He away from my kind balls. of the heavy... My balls, Robert Winfrey. He tried to electrify my balls. So <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. It was hilarious. Oh, poor Shane. All right. But, but, okay, moving on to Iron Man 3. Now, you and I kind of are on the same page as far as this goes, but this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And these are people who tend to be easily bristled and really loyal to their strict dogma, even though it changes frequently. But Iron Man 3. Now, don't get me wrong. Plenty of issues. I have issues with a lot with, you know, in fact, uh, last week when I mentioned that I was going to be doing this on Iron Man, Pat Mullen said, Should we, can you at least bring up Shane Black as the director of Iron Man 3 as the greatest enemy for Iron Man? And I said, yes, I can do that because I, I have my issues with Iron Man 3. They're actually not the same issues that everyone else seems to have with. But, okay, so let's just jump right into this. Let's jump into the Mandarin. Now, the Mandarin is, for those of you who don't know, by and large considered Tony Stark's arch villain. You know, you, 
everybody has their one. Everybody has somebody who is their opposite member, who opposes them at every turn, who makes their life miss. Batman has the Joker, Superman has Lex Luthor, the Flash has Professor Zoom, Thor has Loki, Iron Man has the man. This is a guy who, now, okay, I'll go ahead and acknowledge right away that, first of all, the power of his ten rings, he's a... He finds them in an alien spacecraft that crash landed on Earth, and they actually like possess the souls of uh, dragons from a different planet. I mean, okay, again, comic silliness by and large, which is not a bad to say that in anything approaching a derisive tone. But what we wind up with is a guy who is uh, he has all of this power, and he is a genius, and he grew up wealthy, but his family squandered his fortune actually training him and preparing him for his life, and he grows up in. Like, round about the communist revolution in China. So there's all this, I mean, so there's all this inner turmoil. And he just constantly is a thorn in the side of Tony Stark. Whatever he, Tony's doing, if the Mandarin's involved, it's kind of a big deal. He is a businessman on par with Tony. His power is equal. In fact, the first several times they fought hand-to-hand, the Mandarin won. And he's a very big, overarching, and a very serious villain. So when they announced for Iron Man 3 that Ben Kingsley is going to be the Mandarin, everybody, because Ben Kingsley is the Mandarin, is off. And then, you know, the movie went its own way. And I, I know you're not as familiar with the comic version of the Mandarin. And so I'm kind of curious. You have gone on record many places. This will just be the latest one. You don't mind how they did that. And I don't personally mind it all that much either. But I want to get your – I want to know why this didn't bother you all that much. Why did it work for you, and what what makes it, you know, what what gives it for you? Why is this, why do you look at this and say, well, I don't like this logical, this logical, but I I don't mind this? Well, let me first say that every time we talk about the Mandarin twist, I can't get Joey D and the Starlighter's Peppermint twist out of my head. All right. (laughs) I'm just going to say, well, they've got a new dance that goes like this. Bob, shoo, bop, 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 shoo, bop. Um, da, 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 the Mandarin twist. Da, da, da. Anyway, um, okay. so uh, now it's in your head too. Nah. You're welcome. <laughs> you don't listen to enough fifties, uh, enough doo-wop. In any case, we're not here to every talk about doo-wop. Every time, time about... I go see my grandpa, I listen to it. Hi, grandpa. Well, there you go. He loves fifties stuff. Um, but we're not here to talk about doo-wop. We're here to talk about the Mandarin. Thankfully, All right, yes. So, as I said before. If you go into a movie about a comic book character and expect a literal translation of what was on the pages of those comic books, you are going to be depressed every single time. Whether it's Spider-Man able to physically shoot webs, or as my father would say, fiscally shoot webs out of his wrist, uh, <laughs> as Sam Raimi gave us, you know, or uh, you know, or the fact that Thor never turns into Donald Blake and walks around with a limp and and and, and the cane and the cane hits the cane and it turns into a hammer, um, and he turns into Thor. You know, regardless of all that stuff, um, if you're expecting a literal translation of whatever it was you saw in the comic books, you're always you're going to hate these movies. So again, comic books are not movies. Movies are not comic books, and you have to allow for some creative uh, changes in order to enjoy these things. And I always go into any comic book or otherwise with, is the movie entertaining? Is what's happening in the movie logical when it's in its own universe? Did the plot follow? Uh, was it logical? Do, do, were the characters entertaining? Were the characters uh, fleshed out? You know, that sort of thing. And I don't so much care, you know, I don't so much care whether or not I saw a literal page-to-screen you know, page translation of the comic book. 
if you get again, if you get caught up in that sort of thing, you, you're never going to be satisfied. And I don't go to the movies to get aggravated, oddly enough. So, you know, they, they got well, these. Days it happens few, often enough. You should make that your goal. You could succeed. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, they got this days. This movie will aggravate. They got this Days of Future Past movie coming up. And already, oh, you know, it's Wolverine gosh, they sent back. Already people are whining. <laughs> whining. You're like, oh, they're sending Wolverine instead of Kitty. And like, oh, shut up. Right, because Wolverine Brian Singer the... has a solid enough track record handling the X-Men universe. Well, cause they, so you, you know, make that's... a few tweaks. It happens. Well, I was going to say, Wolverine and, uh, and uh, Hugh Jackman are their franchise player. They're, they're Shane Douglas. Of, of, of course he's going to be the one that goes back. Who the fuck is Kitty Pryde? Then? So, you know, get over yourself. So back to the Mandarin and the Mandarin twist. Bop, shoo, bop, 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 shoo, bop. Um, I did not expect, you know, I, I did not expect. Did you see it like, coming? Well, hang on. I did not expect, uh, this would be funnier if I could remember the man's name, but the guy who plays Sulu. George Takei. There we go. I did not expect George Takei to come on screen with a walk on his head and a, and a handful of jewelry going, I'm the Mandarin, you know. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting in, you know, 2013, 2012, whenever the movie came out, you know, in this modern age of ours where you have to have international, you know, the films not only have to do well domestically, but have to do well internationally, to have a racist stereotype on screen as your villain. It wasn't going to happen. So right there, I, I, you know, I was okay with a, with a British guy playing the Mandarin. I believe and they the have fact- been talking with George Takei about appearing in the Triple X knockoff. Fantastic. Uh, I'm all about the Axel Braun uh, porn parodies, um, which usually have better costumes than the real movies, but that's a whole other podcast. Because um, they have to do it practically instead of with special effects. There you go. But yeah, I, I, I so, so right, like I said, I wasn't, I, they, they were going to have fucking Mr. Fuji come out, you know, in 2012, whenever, whenever the year the movie yeah. was. So, uh, like, uh, well, Ben Kingsley ben was a great choice, and if you look at the character, I mean, again, you go with the Mandarin, you, you have to kind of get away from his original representation because, I mean, he first came out, you know, again, 50, when, you know, race stereotypes were re- kind of running rampant. Right, well, hang on one second. This is what I want to say, really quick. I'm okay with the Mandarin twist because of the story that they're telling. Was the real villain was Guy Pierce. If that's the story you want to tell, then the, the fake-out, the twist there where... You know, he's basically just a red herring and all of that was fine. It wasn't totally necessary. I would prefer, because I mean, I like the concept of Mandarin, where he's basically Osama bin Laden. Um, I think that was a good, was a fun, modern idea, and I always think it just was it. My problem, see, this is the thing. My problem isn't that... You're getting some weird kind of feedback loop going on, I think. Am I? I, I think so. I'm hearing it. I don't know. Maybe no one else. Oh, I, yeah, I don't hear anything. All right. Keep um, going, then. If you, want, if you want, I can call back in. No, nah, that's gone now. Okay. Um, my problem with the, with the whole Mandarin twist was the same problem I had with Bane and the Dark Knight Rises. I don't so much care that they decided that the guy was going to be a red herring as you spent the entire movie telling me that he was the big bad guy, that, the, that this was going to be the Iron, Man, you know, Iron Man's main obstacle to deal with. And then in the last, you know, at the last second, you switch it to somebody else who wasn't a major focus of the movie. This, this was more offensive in The Dark Knight Rises, where Bane literally is the only bad guy in the movie up until the last five minutes of the movie. 
And it, yeah. it, it was Ra's al Ghul's daughter all along, Austin. Um, you know, that drove me absolutely fucking nuts. And when I come back to The Long Road to Ruin, I will spend a good long time ranting about it. Um, it not, it's not nearly as offensive in Iron Man they 3. Spend it's just, the, they spend most of the movie making Bane a legitimate character again, and then in the last five minutes... Yeah, cut his knees right up. Um, you know, it isn't as bad in Iron Man 3. They handle the balance of that a little bit better. I mean, at least Guy Pierce has a whole lot in the movie. So when they get around to revealing that the Mandarin was a, you know, was a fake all along, it isn't like, Oh, Oh, okay. This other guy's the bad guy. Okay. Well, there's still more to do with him. So that's fine. I guess it's, it's not necessarily up until that. Well, yeah, I, 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 it wasn't the story I would have told, but again, I, you know, I don't, that that's not that shouldn't be a knock on the movie that I would have done it different. Um, so ultimately, you know, that's my that's my whole spiel on the Mandarin. You know, you have to you have to accept that everyone hates white people, so they make great villains, especially British people, because you know, you know, the, they, about the, the British accent. well, the accent and they you know the British Empire. Everyone hates the Brits, so they make for great villains, and. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter that he was a beloved character in the Marvel Universe. The, the Marvel comic books are there as sort of grist for the mill, but it's the, not the fucking Bible and the Bible. Yes. In all of its various interpretations, cinematic. Yes. Of which there have been Finally, many. All right. By the way, have you seen the criticisms for Noah? Where apparently, like, Noah's throwing people off the boat and, like, Christians are pissed about it because, like, that's not what happened. Like, wait, how, how do you know what happened? First of all, yeah, how do you know what happened? Well, the Bible is a literal <laughs> translation. Well, which version? <laughs> well, my, my father sent me, like, an article about, like, Christians are pissed at, at the movie Noah. You know, like, this is not what happened and, and everything. It's like, it's like uh, do people realize that the Noah story is a parable that's been told throughout various cultures? Yeah, every major culture has a flood myth, folks. Not exclusive <laughs> to the Judeo-Christian. And I, well, actually, Noah, I believe... It is uh, also Islamic. It falls into the Muslim, but within that triumvirate, it's not exclusive to us. Yeah, it's just, that, that just makes me. <laughs> God damn it! Stop misrepresenting Noah. Um, hey, look, I, I actually haven't seen it, but from what I've read, from what I understand, I have my philosophical and religious issues with it. But that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It doesn't mean I wouldn't enjoy it if I saw it. I'm not inclined to see it because I don't feel like spending my money on. It. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it because I don't care to see Russell Crowe yell at me in the rain for two hours. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but no, I, that's, that's another one of those things where people are complaining inaccurate, you know, unjustly and inaccurately because they have their perceptions, and how dare you challenge them with what actually happens. Yeah. Superman doesn't kill people. Have you read the comic? He does. Whole other story. I was going to say, if you ever, if you... Go back to when Man of Steel came out and these constant screaming I had to do with people. I'm I'm just over it at this point. Yeah. All right, so let me ask you this then. Does it – okay, now I know something – I have a follow-up question to this, so I'm going to ask this. Hypothetically speaking, does it bother you that they took a character with as much history and as much potential for cinematic history as the Mandarin and just kind of blew it in one movie and that was the end of it? No. Because um, if ultimately they're not doing any more Iron Man movies, then what else were they going to use him for? He could do an Avengers crossover, actually. He's that hypothetically speaking, the Mandarin's a big so, enough deal. So you don't for an Avengers crossover. I mean, I'm look, not saying it's necessary. I'm saying you could. I'm saying he's yeah, a but, but, it, it, he's a big enough and an established enough villain that you could do him as the justification for an Avengers film. That's my point. Okay, again, you don't need him. 
and it's not necessary. And well, if you're, you're only doing... We're fabricating Ultron out of Joss Whedon's imagination for the next one. We clearly don't need all that much of anything. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at the way they've laid out the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe, um, and, you know, and, and the Avengers are supposed to be the markers for the phases, right? You know, Phase 3, or for the end of Phase 2, the next Avengers movie is Ultron. The next Avengers movie, I'm guessing, is gonna is when they're gonna get to the Infinity Gauntlet, which is Thanos. One would hope. Um, if they don't, I, I look, I'll I'll be surprised. I really will if the third Avengers movie isn't World War Hulk. They they've got the they've got the basis for it. They you know one or two Hulk movies, one of which is Planet Hulk, and they'll get there. I've heard talks they're gonna do more Hulk movies. And they've been tossing around the idea of Planet Hulk and World War Hulk. It's the it's it's the best fucking way to get to another Avengers movie in my opinion. You don't need the Mandarin. And even if they don't do the Planet Hulk slash World War Hulk storyline, um there's Doctor Doom, which I get well, I guess no, that's owned no, by No, there is. Do you know why say, there isn't? By, because the movie's gonna suck. <laughs> um I'm trying I'm trying to think of like who were like some of the big Avengers uh oh, villains. Okay, which we already talked about. Oh, they, the the Korean scrolls. You know, they can do the they they can do the uh, the, the uh, secret, secret invasion, invasion. storyline. Yeah, um, you know they they can't do uh, they can't do the, the whatever the story was with Norman Osborn because he's owned by Sony. But um, they can do you know they're bringing in the Scarlet Witch. They can the the third Avengers movie could be Avengers disassembled. You know, or the fourth Avengers movie could be Avengers disassembled. You know, there's plenty of places for them to go. The Mandarin, I think, is, and this may be an insult to some people who are fans of the comics, but he's such a small, in that sense, he's such a small part of the Marvel Universe, he's just not necessary. Okay, so here's my follow-up to that. Uh, apparently they released, and I just found this out courtesy of research, they released a, uh, a short film in conjunction with uh, Thor The Dark World, I believe it's home release, uh, something like that, a digital download for a short film done in the style of a documentary. And it concludes with the, docu- the filmmaker abducting uh, Trevor, the character played by Ben Kingsley, telling him that the real Mandarin wants to meet. Now, I again, I'm kind of with you. They're kind of done with the Iron Man for the you know for the time being, unless they. I mean, it, all the indicators fall into that particular line. So I'm just curious. Is that would you be interested in seeing a more you know in seeing a more serious, different take on the character? I mean, is that interesting to you? You personally, does that interest you at all, or is that just? Something well, else they throw I mean, out. Well, I mean, like I said, I thought the Mandarin character, as he was presented before the fake-out, was an interesting character. You know, I like the idea of, like, an Osama bin Laden character, you know, who's a, you know, a terrorist on a global level, and, you know, he's causing all of these problems. I'm fascinated by that. So, you know, sure. You know, if, they, if there's a... If the, where they're going with this is that there's a real Mandarin, and there's you know there's, there's a real sort of bearded, robed terrorist. You know what bothers me about it then is again stop leading me one way just to go another way and undercutting everything we just did. You know I, I feel like if they're gonna if if they're gonna the real Mandarin wants to be, you better not actually be the fucking Mandarin then it better be another character. You know yeah, for I me it's hey, like you, you've done I it now. Been... You, you've told you've told me the Mandarin isn't real. Don't turn around and tell me the you know ninety percent of Iron Man three was horse. Well, it was, but for a different. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I, mean, I I mentioned before that I mean when you and I were kind of talking about this, I would have been perfectly fine if you know if in a future Iron Man movie, assuming they make one, uh, you have the character 
and this is before I knew about you know this short film, obviously, but I would have been perfectly fine if you had the character of Trevor negotiate some kind of immunity agreement in exchange for his testimony and whatnot, and then have him admit there publicly that, no, I'm actually the Mandarin. I put on this fake British actor persona because Tony was there and I wasn't ready to fight him physically. That would I would have been fine with that. That's my little fantasy booking. And yes, you could do that. It was me, Tony. It was me all along. <laughs> Which actually would be great because guess what? I was in your custody. You had me. And what did you do? You let me go. Yeah, you and I talked about this online. You know, that would have been the, kind of a usual suspect Kaiser Soze thing, you know, where you know, they, they flash back to that and it was like, you know, um, you, you had me dead to rights, and I acted like I was a buffoon to get, you know, so that I could get out of your hands and, I, you know, and I could uh, get away. It would have been a very well, Kaiser Soze thing to do. Well, plus, as, and as we all know, as we've you know, discussed with Tony Stark's history of issues, that would probably eat at him for a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I would accept that. That would be acceptable. So that was my own little bit of fantasy booking. Um, oh, gee. Okay, very briefly. I, I want, I'm kind of curious about it because we haven't talked about the first one yet, which means we haven't talked about Ironmonger and the great Jeff. So you know, on the, with, the, with an eye towards brevity, uh, give me your thoughts on that one, on his version, on the cinematic version of Obadiah Stane. Well, we, we, we kind of covered this before when I talked about you know, Tony coming to grass with um, Am I Evil? And, and if so, how do I change myself so that I can live in my own skin? Um, Obadiah Shane, as portrayed by Jeff Bridges in the first Iron Man movie, was um, Uncle Scrooge, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. You know, it was, ah, kind of. fuck the troops. <laughs> it's all about the money, baby. You know, it's really, that's it, kind of his character. It was like, hey, don't rock the boat. You know, we sell guns and, you know, everything was cool until you grew a conscience and I don't understand why, so you have to die. It's sort of a, you know... It, but that's the problem with sort of origin story movies is that the villains don't have a lot to do because you're spent, you spend so much time building up the hero that it's kind of, you know, the, the villain is just there to give the hero something to do, something heroic. And that was kind of it. You know, there was, there wasn't anything more to him than that. It was simply, um, he was, he, he was, a, he was Tony's doppel Tony with a conscience is doppel. You know, he was the exact opposite of everything Tony was. Um, including building, you know, the giant, you know, iron monger suit, you know, and, and while it's not efficient, then being perfectly vulnerable to a tank missile. Yeah. Well, it, it, well, it's, it's not the more dinosaur sort of thing, but it's kind of, no. it, it, it's more well, it's the like, I mean, of, what was he said to him when he had him paralyzed? You know, my design wasn't as conservative as yours. It's right. not well, more dinosaurs, it's mine's bigger. Well, that, that's where I was going with this. It was simply like, well, what do we do to challenge the hero? Make a bigger monster. All right. <laughs> you know, that's Which kind of, works That fine. was it. It's a fine yeah. logical point to start from. Yeah, but that's the thing. It was like, it's hard for me to sort of dig, you know, cut into it and bite into the meat of that sort of thing when there isn't much there to begin with because the whole movie was about, you know, Tony's arc. Um, and, and the villain was sort of an afterthought. It was like, well, we have to have. That's why three is the best movie out of the three. Is there's a, there's enough stuff going on with with all of the primary characters that it's a more interesting film um, than the first one, which is just really focused on Tony. It's it's sort of his movie, and no, everybody else is just sort of there for the ride. Yeah, I'm. Okay, you and I have a slight disagreement there because you have so much. You like three a lot more than I do, and you know, fair play. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna criticize your taste in film here. I have other podcasts for that. 
when you're not a guest, and I can get away with it with impunity. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, no, I mean, look, it wasn't my favorite. I have my issues with three, but, you know, it makes sense. I mean, the only people who I raise eyebrows at are, oh, no, two was the best. Okay. You can stay on that side of the rod. Yes, uh, anyone, I, anyone who thinks two is the best out of the three also thinks the Phantom Menace was the best out of the six. Uh, that's probably true. I don't know. You and I have different opinions on that as well. But we've gone over that, and I <laughs> there's no need to retread it. All right, I think that's everything I – well, we're going to cover this time. I might – given that there were some really kind of interesting ones from the, from the comic mythology that we couldn't get to, I might revisit Iron Man in the future – but that's my prerogative as it's my show. So anybody out there who feels compelled to yell at me for not bringing up AIM, MODOK, uh, you know, all those fun things, uh, you know, I can revisit this. Feel free. You know, if I did, you feel like we should dig into the Crimson Dynamo or Titanium Man or all those fun. I'm sure there's somebody out there going, you should have talked about Fin Fang Foom. All right. We can probably you know, you- do that next time. You know, it's funny as you're bringing up all these characters. I, I know Modoc and Fin Fang Foom as folk villains. <laughs> um, you're not that far. It's, but again, they were kind of desi- they you know they took them and they kind of turned them into interesting villains for Iron Man. Or I mean, I haven't touched on uh, Madame Mask or the Magia. Or I mean, there's all the uh, the Hand, which was a subset that which was a group that served uh, the Mandarin for a time. I mean, there's a lot of things that I, we didn't get to in this one, but. If I revisit this with someone who has extensive comic book knowledge, then I will do so. But, you know, you and I had the conversation here that focused on mostly the films and a couple of the arcs. And I just said, anybody out there, don't get mad at me. I'm not calling this comprehensive. There, that's my disclaimer here. Is it wrong of me that I want to see, I want to see Finn Fang Boom in a movie? And I want to no. see in a Hulk movie or at least a movie with the Hulk. You know what? No. You know what? I think they could put anything with the Hulk on screen and you would want to watch it. So, no, it's not wrong at all. Not wrong at all. I heard, speaking of Iron Man, I've heard that in this next Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron, we get to see a Hulkbuster Iron Man suit versus the Hulk. Could be interesting. Although, I believe, my understanding, and I freely admit this might be a tad loose, I think they're actually going to have Tony Stark be the one who creates Ultron. I sure as hell, because if it's not going to be Hank Pym or Scott Lang, for that matter, um, then it has to be... The story has to be that, you know, since he stopped doing Iron Man suits, he started building robots, and he builds Ultron, and Ultron goes fucking nuts, and he has to don the Iron Man suit again to stop the, the to stop Frankenstein's monster. Hey, I personally maintain that the final Ultron, when it dies, should have just been a Doombot. <laughs> My question <laughs> is, my, my question is: Are they going? Is this going to? Uh, is this going to delve into the vision at all? You know, I think um, Ultron created I have the no vision. No idea. If, as I recall from my days of reading the Avengers comics, Ultron created the vision, and then the vision and the Scarlet Witch got married, and the, she became sort of obsessed with having children, um, and you know, well, freaked out. Like the consciousness of Power Man too, at some point. Yeah, I don't remember all the details, but I but for for the time period that Vision and the Scarlet Witch were both in the Avengers, I remember like they were married. Yeah, I, and I and I'd be fascinated to see a Vision character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it was presented, considering he had sort of a Martian Manhunter look about him in the comic. Yeah. I kind of hope they do, because Vision's an interesting character. But all right, that's going to wrap us up. So, Mark, uh, I know you're not doing much of anything other than, you know, caring for your infant son. <laughs> Can I tell you a story? 
Well, I was going to say, can I, instead of plugging things, can I just tell you a, a real quick story? By all means. So little boys, when, when they're babies, right, and the air hits their genitalia, tend to pee. And the thing they teach, they, they tell you right off the bat when you have an infant boy is they're not like girls, and they will pee up in your family. I peed on my aunt when I was a kid, and, you know... Um, it's a rite of passage. Every, if you don't do it when yeah. you're an infant, you have to do it when you're an adult. Absolutely. Um, golden showers for everybody. Now, if everyone tells a story about an infant that peed on them, right? And Jonas is going to be two weeks old uh, this Sunday. And um, I'm, I, you know, I've been changing my daughter's diapers for three years now, and girls are easy. I mean, I think you know, there wasn't one or two occasions where she shit on my wife mid-diaper change, and those are always hilarious. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have always definitely managed to avoid my daughter, uh, you know, pooping or peeing on me in some fashion or other. I mean, she's vomited on me, on me a few times, but, you know. I, ba- everybody you know, who holds a baby for any length of time gets vomited on. That's just how that works. Yeah. But she never shat in my mouth like she did my, my wife once, which was hilarious. <laughs> um, I find humor in the misfortunes of others, folks. Oh, God, so did I. I think, I was, I think that might have been mid-podcast one day. And my wife was like, literally just shit in my mouth. Was, you know, like, How did that happen? And I was laughing. I was like, you should come on air and talk about it. But anyway, um, so I'm changing Jonas's diaper. And I'm... My rhythm and timing is way off because I'm used to having all the time in the world. Look, you know, you change a girl, you can have, you can have a cup of coffee, you can read a book. You know, nothing's going to happen during the, the whole changing of the diaper episode that you need to be aware of. With boys, however, you need to have the timing of a Broadway musical or you're going to get peed up in the face. So picture it, Sicily, 1938. Lily's sitting on the bed, right, uh, next to Jonas, I'm changing Jonas, and because my timing and rhythm is all off, uh, I take the diaper off of him. I go to reach for the wipes. I'm cleaning him. I don't have. You're supposed to like leave the diaper like covering his penis or put something over his penis so he doesn't pee. And I don't do any of that. I just leave him hanging in the breeze, right? And I'm taking my time cleaning him. I'm looking around. I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, I see this stream of urine arcing up like a beautiful fountain. And the best part about this was he peed not on me, but on <laughs> Lily. And Lily was like, it was like she got hit with a with, with a you know, one of them um, gimmick flower deals, right? You know, one of them Deutsch the Clown flowers. She she just get, she just gets an eye full of piss, right? And she's looking at me, and she goes, what happened to me? (laughs) And I looked at her, and I said, my love, you just had your first golden shower. Hopefully it will be your last. I can't promise what kind of kinks people get into as adults. But, yeah, she totally got peed on. I have yet to be peed on. My wife's been peed on. My daughter's been peed on. Um, He is, you know, in the few occasions where I have not, you know, put something on his penis, and while I was changing him, I have managed to avoid being urinated on by this child. He's vomited on me twice. So I have to kind of watch what I'm doing when I, when I feed him. But, yeah, I have been dying to tell that story on air, so I finally got out my Lily's first golden shower story. Well, I'm glad I could be on my podcast. You should, because I was saving that one for the casual heroes, but those guys were jerkwads to me, so I didn't tell them about it. 
You're better off telling it here. This is a safe environment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. I feel warm and comforted here on the Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. You should. <laughs> you know, well, you, well, what's the line? All we freaks have is each other. <laughs> Indeed. Um, as to what I'm doing these days, well, I'm always listening. I'm always listening to everyone's podcast. I'm making sure you all are behaving yourselves. Thank um, you, big brother. Mr. Teasley, Mr. Cooper. No, um, yeah, I'm listening to everyone's podcast. You know, I'm checking them out. Uh, on the occasion that I can call into something, I will. Um, I'm still doing... I was kind um, of hoping we're going to call in on the 411 Ground and Pound show last week just so you could bury Travis Brown. Ah. <laughs> I wasn't home. Um, I, I stand by my my initial prediction that I think I think Fabrizio Verdum will beat Cain uh, Velasquez and Dana White will tear off his own head. But you're um, the only one outside of Verdum's immediate family, and even then, it's only those who are not who are not placing bets because no one's betting on the guy. I'm telling you, but man. He's, if you're right, I, you called it first. I have to give credit uh, where it's due to people who make accurate predictions. I, he will lose by either triangle or armbar. That's my prediction. All right, but um, yeah, I mean, just a real quick thing. Yeah, the, I've I've now gotten it out of my system. I've been to a live Fox event. Um, it was fun. Uh, you know, me and my boy Paul, we uh, we drove into Orlando together. It was actually like like a really mellow crowd. You know, like I've been to WCW Nitros and people got into fist fights. <laughs> I've uh, I I have been you know to a lot of like concerts, a heavy metal concerts. Um, and well, you I were born in the pit, you, right? I was born in the pit. Um, and I, I would tell you that as far as crowds go, it was a very, like, working, middle class, very, you know, mixed between men and women. It wasn't like, you know, like, a hundred to one, you know, sausage fest. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was fun. You know, we sat near a group of people, um, you know, they, they were kind of annoying, but, you know, it's, it's, you're going to have that no matter where you go. But, like, nobody was overly obnoxious. Um, you know, as for the fights themselves, this was a typical UFC card. Some fights sucked, some fights were great. The main card, uh, we, the main card we all thought w- w- was fun. Um, I still don't understand why the Liz Carmouche fight was in any way, uh, controversial. <laughs> Somebody she felt there was controversy there? Oh my god, well, it was all over Twitter. It was twi- people around us. Who do you follow? I'm sorry, I, that was a clear-cut decision as far as I was concerned. I don't get that. I uh, know, but everyone else, like on Twitter... Well, thankfully, Clucky was in the audience instead of not the, <laughs> the judge's table. I, it was, I, I mean, I, I watched that, I'm like, Liz Carmouche clearly won the first round. Misha Tate clearly won the next two rounds because Liz Carmouche decided to take a fucking nap for some odd reason. And I, I was She poured herself it. in sleep, after the, to sleep with the first round, along with the well, audience. Like what? What were you thinking after that first round? Well, I've already done enough to win. No, Liz, this is a three-round fight. No, no. She went to the Clay Guida School of Fight Math. I'm wondering if Brian Caraway was cornering her and said, "Okay, babe, coast to victory." Wait, I'm in the wrong corner. Shit. Oh, hey, the advice worked if he was giving bad cornering advice, but I don't know. Uh, All right, well, yeah, Mark, that. go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, I was gonna say that was that. You know, um, if we had got, if I'd gotten home on time. Um, I would have called in Sunday just to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about that event, but, I, I, you know, I didn't get home. I am planning at some point to call in on the show periodically, you know, check, on, check in on you guys, but I do listen every Sunday, uh, or rather every Monday, um, Monday morning. Um, I, 
Gavin Napier, you know, some of these best wishes to him. He's had some health problems over the past two weeks, so we hope he gets better soon. But I think, or I am, because he's been out, there hasn't been a wrestle cast, or if there was one, I wasn't a part of it. Um, I'm so, not aware of any. Yeah, so uh, the wrestle cast should be up and running soon. It's, I guess as soon as Gavin is ready to do it again. Um, we, we did one. It's in the can somewhere, but Chris hasn't posted it yet, and he may not because now it's kind of old news. Um, but I'm still doing that, and uh, I'll be doing the live Extreme Rules post-show. Um, I guess that's next Sunday. Um, I am Will you do me a watch- favor and count the number of chin locks put on by Evolution in that match? I think it's going to be a record. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, I am planning to watch the John Jones go over to Sheriff fight. Um, yeah, I'm pretty I'm, sure I'm, I'm covering that. You got a raw fucking deal, man. You should hold that. You should hold him up for money. You should sell him. Or I, I could blame you for leaving me. I, I <laughs> <laughs> just tell him I will not participate in SummerSlam unless you pay me my money. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. All right, but yeah, that, uh, I believe I'm covering that. So don't quote me. But me or Larry, my understanding is one of us will have that this sun, this Saturday. Maybe you get Jeff to come. He's on a con of some sort. I don't know. But that's what I got going on, you know, uh, taking care of the kids, taking care of the wife, holding the town at the job, uh, calling in on the podcast or two when I have the time. Uh, congratulations. Uh, I'm also going to, uh, I'm very much trying not to wreck up the, the house that is the long road to ruin, but you might have to, uh, no load-bearing walls will be coming down. That's my promise. <laughs> I'm curious. Your next one is uh, The Fast and the Furious, and I'm very fascinated by how that that discussion is going to go. It's going to be interesting. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Sean very much enjoyed it. Do me a favor. I don't know if you you watch uh, American Dad at all, but there was an episode of American Dad where they found a script Uh, to like a fan. They they find uh, Steve. uh, Okay, again, I don't know if you watch the show or not, so I may be over. Okay, so for those that don't know the show... Uh, Steve is the main character, sort of dweeb son, nerdy son, and him and his three other nerdy friends find a, find an unfilmed script for a Fast and the Furious sequel. And they're reading through it, and they're like, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. And they realize that 90% of the script is, is like a lot of gay sex. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay. hilarious. I might have to find the sound bit. Yeah, if you can, if you wouldn't mind, if you can find the uh, the the bits of that episode where uh, where they're dealing with the Fast and the Furious and all the you know, there's a line in there like like we filmed the whole thing, including all of the gay sex, and then we cut it except for France. France gets it all. <laughs> uh, I might have to look for that, but just to get my plugs, as Mark alluded to, yes, um, starting the sixth of May. I'm still hosting The Long Road to Ruin while Mark is on his hiatus. Sean Comer and I are going to take a two-part look at the Fast and the Furious series, which proves, ladies and gentlemen, that you can hit rock bottom and rebound. That's going to, so tune in for that. should be fun. Uh, the, I believe the first show is going to be the first three. So one, two, and three, wherein things go downhill. And then uh, the two weeks after that, I think it's the 20th, we'll start the rebound. And we'll explain why The Rock is the saver of franchises. Except G.I.G. Hey, look, if The Rock and Bruce Willis cannot save your franchise, there's something severely wrong with how you're doing it. That's my brief assessment of that. Uh, I am now hosting the 411 Ground and Pound radio show every Saturday. We're moving the time 
uh, to accommodate some scheduling. It now goes live at 8 p.m. Eastern. So tune in for that. This Sunday, we, the panel, which is usually me, Pat Mullen, and Jeff Harris, will be uh, reviewing UFC 172, Jones versus Teixeira, and Mr. Wonderful and Fat Anthony Johnson. That whole thing. So I believe I have the... I believe I have coverage. Don't quote me on it, but 411 will have you covered one way or the other. Did you see who's back? No. Oh, no, yeah, Andre Arlovsky. Yeah. He's fighting Brendan Staub in Vancouver. All I want want is one of those personal handheld fans, because I'm pretty sure I could knock out either one with the breeze. (laughs) I'm only mildly joking. Can't sign Ben Askren, have to cut Jake Shields and Yushin Okami, but boy, we sure need that Andre Arlovsky back. Well, you know, heavyweight. Yeah. I don't like any of those fighters, and I'd still rather see them back than Arlovsky. Golly. Hey, I hate Jake Shields. He's got rid of Jake Shields. He's everything wrong with the sport, and I'm still thinking, eh, he probably deserves it more than the pit bull there. Yeah, that's depressing. I just defended Jake Shields' spot in the... Uh, all right. I'm going to go castigate. Yeah, I think you need to end this podcast. Oh, what you said. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, my weekly podcast... Or podcast... My weekly column in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com is live this week. Trying out a new format, and this week I'm critiquing, in a broad sense, the vast, uh, the range of ranking fights, why in MMA you can't just have a good fight, you have to have a great fight. Uh, I got some good feedback on it, so if you're interested in that, check it out. I'll have something up again next week. Uh, depending on how the Jones to share a fight goes, I might t- tackle that, I might... Uh, focus. I might, I might poke fun at Dana White because hey, that always gathers hits. At least uh, I'll have something to do with that. Um, okay, that's everything. I here on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy next week. I'll be back in the DC universe. I'm not sure yet which uh, heroes villain, which heroes gallery I'm going to tackle, but I'm going to tackle somebody. And if not, I'll have Jason Teasley on, and we'll talk about the turtles. That's right, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So not as opposed to the other turtles, so you may have confused me. So that's what I've got coming up here. Uh, Mark, thank you very much for being on. I like having you on these. Sh- I like having you on my show, even if you don't draw the numbers. I like the quality. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like a deaf poetry slam. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's it for me and Mark. I'm Robert Winfrey. Just reminding you again that without a good bad guy, your hero, he's just a funky guy in tights with a cape. Night, everybody. So say good night to the bad guy.